In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie. Doreen Morin Van Dam is our guest this week on the podcast. The first airplane Doreen ever took landed her in Boston from her home in the Netherlands. It was July 1988. She had $100 in her pocket and was ready for adventure. Doreen made wonderful memories as an au pair, found the love of her life at a bus stop, got married at 19 years old, and stayed forever. Doreen was a stay-at-home mom until her fourth and youngest child started kindergarten. At that time, she pivoted to entrepreneurship. Suddenly, she was navigating a business world with people who had gone to college and had a lot of work experience, which she didn't have. Doreen is a certified agile marketer, social media strategist, international keynote speaker, organic social media specialist, and community manager. She's been a social media professional for over 11 years, working with diverse clients all over the world. You'll recognize her on stage and online by her always present orange glasses, a nod to her Dutch heritage. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Doreen hits on in this conversation. First, how in the Netherlands, the idea of going Dutch is real. You don't owe anyone anything and always split things down to the penny. This taught Doreen what you have is what you spend and you don't buy things you can't afford. Second, how she lives her values. For Doreen, this means continuing to care for her family while growing her business. And third, the power of mastermind groups for advice, support, information, connections, and of course, money conversations. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, onto our conversation with Doreen Morin Van Dam. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami, and I'm here with my co-host Sandy. Hey, Cami. Tell me what exciting money conversations have you been having recently? This last weekend, I had a really interesting one with some newer friends to me, a gentleman that used to work with my husband and his wife. They came over for a barbecue. I knew she was an emergency room doctor. Being inspired by all these conversations on Money Tales, I asked her about becoming a doctor because I know it's a ton of work and my assumption is the pay isn't necessarily all that great. She told me about getting through med school and everything. I said, did you talk with any of your classmates about money and compensation? I have to admit, I've assumed the answer was going to be no. And she said, yes, we all talked with each other. I just thought that was really great. The unfortunate thing, the answer was, but it didn't help us. Because when you come out of med school, your salary is kind of pre-decided. That talking about money didn't necessarily result in a better outcome, but I got to think it helped going into those conversations regardless. 
Thanks for sharing that, Cami. I love hearing about more people talking about money. And I do think over time, these conversations do help. They might not have helped in that particular immediate career step, but there's long legs on these conversations. I agree, Sandy. Sure enough, she has gone into a healthcare technology company. So I bet that confidence helped her in negotiating her first salary. I'd like to welcome our guest today on Money Tells, Doreen Morin Van Dam. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Would you please introduce yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that really impacted you, making you the person you are today? I was born and raised in the Netherlands. I'm the middle one of five children, and I have a huge family. My dad was one of nine. My mom was one of 14. So I have something like 74 cousins. Do you keep track of names, Doreen? Yeah, I know. Growing up, I didn't know all of them. One side of my family, all the cousins were older. My dad was the youngest, and my mom was one of the first ones to get married out of the 14. So the other side, me and my siblings were the older cousins, and I had all these younger cousins. So one of the pivotal moments for me was when I finished high school and I moved to the US as an au pair, very young. And within a couple of months of being there, I met a young guy at the bus stop. Started dating. And when it was time to go home, I didn't want to go home. And I decided to marry him. I was 19. So that was a very pivotal moment as well. In May last month, we celebrated um, 33 years of marriage. So that crazy idea stuck. We were young and we were poor. We're going to talk about money for quite a while. He was in school. He ended up finishing his undergrad and then getting a master's degree. And right around the time that he started his master's degree is when we started having babies. I was pregnant when he started. I was pregnant and about to give birth with our second when he finished. We ended up having four children and I was a stay-at-home mom until my youngest one started kindergarten. He is a rising senior this year. So about 11 years ago, started my own business. So that was a whole new career. So that's another pivotal moment for me, starting work in the US in a business world that I had never really entered with people that had gone to college, had had a lot of work experience and me not having that experience. Those are the big moments, I think. Growing up in the Netherlands within your family, how was money handled? By my dad. He was a breadwinner. He was lucky that he was a military man for 20 years. So he built up a pension there and then decided that he wanted to get out and then worked another 20 or so years. So he built up a second pension as a civilian. The Netherlands is a socialist country, but it's democratic. Basically, in the 80s, when I grew up, a lot of people were making the same kind of money. I don't remember ever meeting somebody who was poor. And I don't remember ever meeting somebody who was rich because we were all paying a huge amount of tax. The take home for a lot of people was similar. The difference being that my parents had five children. So the take home for five children versus the take home for one or two made all the difference in how we lived. So we didn't go on vacations. We didn't have new cars. Most people in the Netherlands only had one car then anyway. So luxury items really became luxury items. We would go on vacation to visit all the cousins because we didn't live nearby. So we would do sleepovers with cousins and that would be vacation. We didn't all fit in the car. I remember one vacation, my parents told my 17-year-old brother to stay home. We didn't have a car at that moment that fit everybody. And he was 17 and he was working and they're like, just stay home. We'll go to Germany. And he did. <laughs> But it was never a concern. I think that the biggest difference is growing up there versus my children growing up in this country. 
I didn't even know you paid for a doctor or you paid for a dentist or you paid for medicine. There was never a, oh, we're not going to go to the doctor because you might be sick or maybe not, or we can't pay this bill. There was never, we're not going to go to the dentist because it was part of the health insurance that we got in the country. Everybody had health insurance, everybody had dental insurance. Actually, I think the dentist for a while came to school and I know they still have that. You pay as a parent when the traveling dentist comes to school. It's all part of the healthcare system. So I didn't understand when I moved to this country, that was one of the biggest aha moments. And I got sick and I had to go to a doctor and I have to pay a lot of money. And I was like, oh my gosh. So money was never a thing. I now know my mother was on a budget for food with five kids and having that limit, but she would just be like, oh, we're going to have these cookies this week. It was because the cookies were on sale. We weren't going to buy the other cookies that we liked because they weren't on sale. Growing up, my parents never said, we can't buy it. We can't afford it. Nothing was ever said. So we were made feel very secure. In this country, there's a lot of children who know that parents can't afford the things that they really need. So it was a very secure and happy childhood. Growing up in this secure environment, what prompted you to become a no parent in the United States? Adventure. As much as everything is great, everything is super regulated. Everybody is doing the same thing at the same time. The day you turn four, you start kindergarten. You can't graduate kindergarten without your shoe tying diploma. (laughs) Every child in the Netherlands takes swimming lessons between the ages of five and seven. And you have to get a swimming diploma in order to swim in a public pool or you can't swim in the public pool. So they have all these regulations and all these things. Somehow I just knew I didn't really fit in and I just didn't want to do what everybody else did. And I wanted adventure. So I left. Were you thinking about money as you were taking off on this big adventure? No, I had $100 in my pocket. All my savings went to my ticket because I had to pay for it myself. My parents were like, you want to be an au pair? You can pay for your own ticket. So I'd worked all year to pay for the ticket. $100 in my pocket. I remember now, as I talked about that the other day with my children, I'll give them money or I'll buy coffee or we're out to dinner and I pay the bill. I think we went to the airport and my parents dropped us off and I think I had to buy my own coffee. I didn't have any money. It wasn't money motivated. I made $50 a week as an au pair. But no costs, right? Yeah, live there. But, you know, it made $50 a week. And how long did you do that? A year. By then, I was already married, but then the year. He was still in school. So we moved to Philadelphia where my husband finished undergrad degree. But I was like, where's Philadelphia? You do like adventure. Yeah, I like adventure. So Jereen, tell us about your money evolution, because you had a lot of change in such a short period of time, moving from a very regulated, comfortable environment to one that sounds like it was filled with a lot of risk. Yeah. But if you don't expect or need big things, then that's not a big risk. It wasn't like I needed these clothes or I needed this makeup or I needed certain foods or I had a certain standard. In the Netherlands, you have heard that, you know, going Dutch, that's a thing. I made $50 a week, but I took my boyfriend, now my husband, out to dinner. And he looking at me going, you have no money. I'm like, I saved two paychecks. I've got $100. I can take you out to dinner. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. But that's how I grew up. What you have is what you spend. You don't ever spend what you don't have. But you also don't buy things that you can't afford. My parents didn't get a credit card until they visited me in the US, probably 10 years after I had lived there. One of the visits, they wanted to rent a car or something. And my dad goes, I guess I have to get a credit card because I can't rent a car without a credit card. 
They never bought anything on credit except their house, I guess, with a mortgage and a car, maybe. You don't spend what you don't have. So it wasn't like I needed things or I wanted things. There's nothing to lose. There was also no value. I grew up in a very religious home and Calvinistic country. The Calvinist background is you don't worship things. You don't need a lot of things. It's very sober living. Christmas, there weren't big gifts. First of all, on Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We didn't celebrate Santa Claus. The Dutch Santa comes on a different time. So we separate the two holidays in the Netherlands. So it wasn't like I was used to getting gifts or giving gifts. Weddings weren't big then. Now maybe they are. But for example, my husband and I got married at the bus stop. I didn't even know what the wedding registry was. Wait, did you just say you got married at the bus stop? Yep. <laughs> so remember, there's no expectations if you don't have all these lofty things that you want or you want somebody else to buy. You're happy with what you can do. And we lived right around the corner from each other. I lived with the family as an au pair. He lived with his sister as a student. And we literally met at the bus stop at the corner because we lived near each other. And we wanted to get married and we didn't have any money. And we looked out the window and we said, why don't we just get married at the bus stop where we met? So we got a justice of the peace and we went to the bus stop. I borrowed a dress. We invited some friends and that's what we did. This idea of going Dutch, though, that you referenced is something I grew up this saying that never went to the origin of it to try and understand and to realize this is a real thing. It's a cultural thing. Dutch people in a way are very cheap, but there's this thing in the Netherlands now with technology. It's like Venmo, but literally with one tick, they call it a ticky. If I were in the room with you, I could send you a tick and I would send you your $5.56 that I owed you. And the Dutch are like, what do I owe you? They exactly send it very precise. They don't want to owe anybody anything. They share it. They do it through the middle. One of the other funny money stories that I have when I first came is the first time I took a taxi in the US. I didn't know about tipping. Nobody told me. <laughs> so it was like $15.56. I literally gave him the exact money. And he was very mad at me, but I didn't understand enough English to even understand why he was mad. Nobody clued me in. So that was another thing that I had to learn. Tipping is important in this country. So I think this is really interesting, this evolution coming from a very different country, taking the values that you grew up with into your life, having expectations that weren't related to anything material. It sounds like you and your husband were focused on the beautiful relationship you were building together. I know having grown up in this society, how much money plays an influence on how we're raised here. Were there pressures on you as you assimilated more and more into American culture? I'm wondering if you found yourself questioning some of your values or not. No, I never. There are things that happened that people would go, well, you know, you can do it differently. Like for example, when I had my first two babies, I had a midwife and I had a friend go, you know, you can go to a hospital and get drugs, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I want to. My husband and I moved to Brazil for four months with the kids. And I had a friend say, well, you know, you don't have to go, right? I'm like, it's an adventure. I'm going. There were definitely times in my life that other people would look at me and like, why are you doing this? But I've never had these lofty goals. And in a way, because of that, later in business, I've struggled with, am I not ambitious enough? Am I not doing it fast enough? I could have scaled my business earlier. Because there were no pressures there, I did it all in my time. I also am very creative with money. 
we didn't buy a new piece of furniture as a family until we had just had our third baby and we needed a king size bed. And that's the first piece of furniture, I think, that we bought that was brand new. We had gone to yard sales, marketplace. We had a lot of friends moved back to Europe, we would sell their furniture. We would buy cribs. We would buy futons. I wasn't used to luxury or having the best or the most or the nicest. Those things didn't matter. But then when I got them, they're really nice. I remember buying our house. We were 30 and 32 when we bought our first home. It was the first time I had my own washing machine, 30 years old. For 11 years, we'd lived in apartments and I would have to use public laundry. By that time, I'm pregnant with my third child. I will still go. I'm 52 years old. Go in my basement and go to my washing room and go, oh my gosh, I've got a washer and dryer. I love it. Being raised that way, I still had that appreciation for luxury items. Going to a hotel, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm spending that money. Questioning how I spend it. Do I have this? Do I want this? I can be very satisfied with very little, very few things. I never got an engagement ring. I don't know. I didn't know I asked for one. I just had a wedding ring. It sounds like you and your husband share very similar money values. Well, yes. So that's an interesting point. I think that was attractive to him to not have somebody who was so demanding, right? He was also young and he had had probably previous relationship where girls did want him to pay for everything and did demand things. Not having me ask for things or demand things probably made it a lot easier early on in our relationship. Later on, when kids came along, there was going to be a little bit more, well, the kids need this or the kids need that. I don't need it, but they need it. Let's send them to summer camp. Those were things that we would discuss and say, you know, where are we spending the money? I didn't get my nails done. There were years I didn't get haircuts. It wasn't anything that I was needing or wanting. And we saved a lot of money that way. But yes, I think that that's been a good thing in our relationship. So tell us about the conversations that you two have had over the years. How has this relationship evolved around co-managing your finances? That's interesting because I was a stay-at-home mom. So for a lot of years, there wasn't a lot of co-managing. I was raised in a very Christian society where males were dominant and they held the purse strings. And so was he. He made the money once the kids were there. So there was a lot of decisions they were talked about, but they were mostly pushed because of the things that he thought were most important. Now, for a couple of years before we had children, he was in school and I worked. So I was the breadwinner. I worked as a nanny. That was really good. As I started my business, things have really shifted. The first few years of my business, I still had all the kids at home. And then the kids started looking at college. Neither of us have had any help from our parents in our marriage or as teenagers, money-wise. So our philosophy has been with the kids, that's yours. You want to go to college? We want you to go to college. We will help you, but it's your bill. We've always said that to our children. We have four. We lived in South Carolina when they were growing up, and they are one of very few states that offer state scholarships based on merit, not on need, which was really nice for our children. So they were able to stay in state. The two that went to college in South Carolina got full rides to really nice schools because of that. Now we live in Vermont and our youngest is about to embark on college here. And because of knowing this, 
He has chosen to go early college. He's going to do his first freshman year at a tech college through a program called Early College. So he gets the first year free. Then after that, if he stays, then he gets a partial scholarship. And he's like, yeah, and then I can live at home so I can even save more money. So my bill at the end will only be X, Y, Z. He's doing the counting because he's seen his siblings go through this. My oldest son said to me, the day you drove me to college, I thought you were going to hand me a check. I thought you guys had been joking. And we're like, nope, (laughs) I bought him groceries. But no, I think our children have landed really well and they have a lot more knowledge about money than we do. And the fun part is seeing the older ones talking to the younger ones about investing. They're investing money. They're looking at the stock market and looking at Bitcoin and just excited that they have money and being able to do with it. And it's all theirs. And that's the cool thing. It's all theirs. I took all of them when they were 13. They got their bank account, got their debit card. They all had jobs early. They had to pay for their own phones. All of those things where if you want something, you have to work for it. That's how we both were raised. So I think that's a good relationship we both have with money. You're really setting expectations for the kids early on. And the kids knew those expectations. At least one of them was hoping (laughs) the expectation was really a little bit different. Yes. Tell us about starting your business. What prompted you to do that? And what has changed in your money life as a result? My youngest started kindergarten and I've been a stay-at-home mom. I've been a community volunteer, elder at my church. I had done so much work with the little ones at home. He starts kindergarten. My oldest one is in seventh grade. I had seven hours a day. I've always been busy. I was like, what am I going to do? My husband suggested that maybe I look into this new thing called social media. I wasn't even on Facebook. I wasn't on Twitter. I don't even know what it is. He's like, well, you can communicate with your family in the Netherlands. This will be great. So I took an online course, kind of saw the potential. It was learn how to be a social media manager, like the business of social media management. So I took that course, put my shingle out. I went to LinkedIn and said, I'm a social media manager. And there was a local nonprofit that was doing a golf tournament and they didn't have any social media. So the guy was desperate for sponsors. And he's like, how about you become our social media manager and you help us get sponsorships and we'll make you social media director. We can't pay you. (laughs) So I became social media director for this nonprofit. I ended up working with them for three years. We ended up getting, instead of 5,000 a year, we got 75,000 a year in sponsorships using some social media techniques and reaching out. And so I learned a lot and that's how I started my business. I knew nothing, but the good part is I knew nothing. So I wasn't afraid to fail. I didn't know what I didn't know. I think that's a good way to say it. The funny part is my husband, he's got an MBA. He's looking at me going, okay, you just go, you just do your thing. Very different business style, obviously. And so I started with local marketing and then figured out that agencies were making a lot more money than I was. So started white labeling services to agencies, went into a couple of different states, and then upskilled myself to community management strategy in 2020. When the world shut down, everybody needed social media. And that was my first six-figure year. It's been a fun ride. And It's been a journey with money, especially in my business. I've always said my family comes first. So I wasn't in a hurry to scale. I wasn't in a hurry to hire anybody. I already am managing dogs, children. 
husband, a household. <laughs> I don't need to be managing employees. I have no desire to do that. I love what I do. I think I am a leader, but I don't want to have more responsibility. Honestly, if my kids need me, I want to get on a plane and go, even now that they're young adults. I've never had that desire. It's not ingrained in me. I have to have this career. If it was, I wouldn't have come here. I wouldn't have be a stay-at-home mom. This is gravy. This is awesomeness to me. I'm very proud of what I've done and I'm still looking to scale, but I don't put that pressure on myself. I'm taking clients that I love and I'm working only with the people that I like. And that's huge. What I loved hearing is that you started seeing what others were making and charging and you saw that there's a chance to charge more, go after it a different way. Your values are for flexibility, be a mom first, all that. That's great. But with this eye towards, I can make more. Is that something that you've spoken with your husband about? Have you talked to friends about pricing, building the business? Yes. Yeah, so I've been in a mastermind before. I had a mastermind when we started out, there was four women. We were all about three, four years into our business. We met at a conference and we were all social media managers. And we had a mastermind for about two years and we were open. We talked about everything business. How much do you make? How much do you charge for a client? It was very important to do that. And I have to say now that's been about six years, seven years since we had that mastermind and we're all doing great things. And it's so fun to have seen everybody. Somebody became an owner of an agency. Somebody's taken a really high powered job as a marketing VP. It's just really fun to see where we've all ended up. I've got a new group of people that I can discuss the same things with pricing and scaling. You need that support as a business owner, especially working from home, being a solopreneur. I think it's very important. And as much as I want advice, I also give advice. I'm a community manager and a community of social media managers. And it's a global community where people talk about making $5 an hour and then other people go, no, $500 is an hour. But it's like, depends on where you live. If you're in the Philippines, in $5 an hour is a lot. If you're in South Africa, $5, $6 an hour is also good if you get paid in US dollars. So we do talk about pricing and really value-based pricing is what I do. I talk to people about what do you need to live comfortably? What do you need to earn? And then move back on what does that mean for a monthly income? How many clients can you have? Do you want 10 small clients? Do you want 15 small clients? Do you want a team? Do you want big clients? there's bigger risk if you have three big clients versus 10 small ones. If one falls away, which is what happened during the pandemic, clients went out of business, you have higher risk, you get more return, but higher risk. Yeah, we talk about that within our industry. It's worth discussing and talking about because the other part to that is as much as I like to talk money and as much as I would like to earn a lot of money, I know I could earn more if I actually was an official agency but I don't want that. I don't want too many people in with my clients. I want to have that relationship with the client. I want to have that call with the client. I don't want my team to have the call. I want to have the call. So I'm making choices in my business that I could potentially make more money, but I don't want that. That's where I'm having fun. If this is not fun anymore, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to retire. I appreciate how you have been very clear your entire life on what your values are, what your goals are, what your mission is. It's very inspiring hearing your story. I appreciate you bringing up the mastermind idea that hasn't come up in prior Money Tales conversations. And I'm wondering, 
how did you in the small group set boundaries around the conversations you're going to have? Because having these open conversations requires safety. It requires confidence. Could you just share a little bit about how you guys got started? We were at a social media conference. We were friends online and we met in person. The four of us went out to dinner and we sat there and we realized we were all having the same growth issues, how to scale. And we said, let's start a mastermind. What we did is we created a private Facebook group. It was just four of us in the group and we would have calls and we'd keep an agenda initially. The calls got harder. We were all moms, young kids at home. So what we ended up doing is going into the Facebook group and sharing, hey, I've got this proposal due in two days. Can you look this over? Is this too much money? Is this not enough money? Where would you expect to push back? I'm trying to start a membership program. What do you think I should charge? This is what I'm offering. Really getting granular. And we all understood that, first of all, we didn't tell anybody we were in a mastermind together. I think that's the biggest secret about masterminds. People usually don't tell people they're in masterminds. So we would just meet. We would have that safety. We've always honored each other. We went through big things in our lives. One had a baby, became a single parent. We were able to help each other. We were able to support each other. There was that trust we've met in person. So I think for us, we all felt that connection. And since then, we've met different places. I've been to their houses. They've been to my house. We became real friends. And I would suggest that if you're going to be in a mastermind when you're sharing that kind of information with each other, that you would find people that you can meet in real life, either meet for the first time and then start a mastermind or have that be part of your plan. My philosophy in the Netherlands is you have my trust until you break it. I've told that to my kids when they walk out the door, I love you and I trust you. Unless you break the trust, I'm not going to trust you. So my kids were able to do a lot of things a lot earlier than American kids because I trust them. You break my trust. Now that's going to be a whole lot harder to earn it back. So I think in business, I have that same philosophy. If you burn me, I'm not going to trust you. So I don't want to work with you. I have to put that out there. That's part of my values. You've got to see the best in people. Doreen, who's your next money conversation going to be with and what's it going to be about? My daughter. She graduated and she's got a job, but she's also planning to get married. We already have had several conversations. Be wise, how to merge the money from her and her future husband and making her understand that what she has seen growing up is not what I would wish for her. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't always making the decisions. And I know that she saw that. I want her to know that she can because she's in a different situation. She is right from the start equal breadwinner. We've had that conversation already, but as she gets ready on this new journey, I think it's important that they're honest and have those open conversations with each other. So I'm just going to encourage her to keep talking about that. Doreen, that's a fantastic conversation. It's an ongoing conversation, I'm sure. Thank you for all your sharing, for bringing your roots to us and sharing what it's like to grow up in the Netherlands and sharing as an entrepreneur today what it feels like and how you're doing it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, 
don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcast at See you next time. Thank you.